Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, before I get into the message this morning, I'm Drew. Nice to see you all. Um, before I get into this, I need to make a quick announcement. Um, not this coming weekend, but the weekend after is face to face. Doug, come on, ladies. Let's try a little harder than that. Face to face. Right, so uh, November 12th and 13th is our ladies' event, face-to-face. There is still spots available, and today is the last day to get the early bird registration price. So if you are interested in going to this and you have not yet signed up, please go online today to get that early bird price, or see Kim if you are computer illiterate. She can help you with that, right? Well, I guess maybe she can help. Um, But please uh, keep that in mind, and... Go sign up for that today. Um, I feel the need for prayer before I step into this message this morning. So if you could all just bow your heads and join me in this. Father, I pray that your love hems us in this morning. That we are so tangibly aware of your love and your presence on our lives that in light of the weight of that love and the, the, the presence of that love, that we will be able to walk into everything that you have to say to us this morning with fear bound at the door, with shame absolutely nowhere to be found, with condemnation a distant memory. May your love so hem us in this morning that we are secure and safe in that love, that we are covered and that we are free to walk into what you have for us today. Father, shepherd our hearts this morning as we walk through this. Amen. So, if you were here last week, you know that we have entered into a season of lament. Ryan and Kate introduced this this, uh, season that we're walking in beautifully and vulnerably. Thank you guys both so much for what you did last week. And for those who weren't here, if you're wondering what lament is, I'm going to repeat back Ryan's definition that he gave last week, which lament is giving time, space, voice, and expression to our deep sorrow, pain, loss, and disappointment, and grief. And, you know, we're entering corporately into this season of lament because, as was so beautifully put last week, there is plenty for us to grieve. There's plenty of pain and brokenness to go around. Uh, this morning, I, as I was preparing to come and speak on this, the thing that the Lord continually brought back to my heart, um, I'm just going to spend just a few minutes theologically laying out the groundwork for this, and then we're going to walk through it. But absolutely everything that we lament in this life has its root back in the fact that sin broke the world, and it broke humanity. It broke the perfect relationship that we had in the garden with our Father. When sin entered in, it shattered absolutely the perfect, beautiful, communal picture of what God intended for us. And absolutely every single thing that we find in this life to lament can find its root back in that one moment of brokenness and and pain that came upon God's creation. And so today what we're going to walk through is we're going to walk through recognizing lament in light of sin. And I know that any time 
someone gets on a pulpit and starts talking about sin, there are some things we have to cover first before we do it. And maybe it's because of our, maybe uh, growing up in religious history, sometimes um, the church has partnered with the enemy to make sure that when we approach sin, we, we don't feel as remorse, what we feel is condemnation and shame. And that's not what any of us need to feel this morning. We don't need to feel any condemnation and shame because we know and we saying that God is enough and he is enough to cover our brokenness. He is enough to cover and remove the guilt of our shame, our condemnation, everything that we might find ourselves in, every place of guilt or failure we might find ourselves in, we just saying that God is enough, he is enough for the forgiveness of those sins and for the cleansing of our souls, amen? So I need to say something just to differentiate this morning because I know, I know myself and I know that shame is like my go-to emotion. Like, I just kind of grew up thinking I was completely broken and everything is through the filter of something must be wrong with me. So if any of you are friends in the room that you feel shame once in a while when we start talking about stuff, I want to differentiate for us the difference between what shame is and godly sorrow so that we know how to position our hearts and respond to the godly sorrow that we might feel this morning and to flatly reject shame if it comes knocking at your door. Okay? So one of the differences between shame and, let's say, conviction or what we might call a sense of guilt or responsibility is even though we sometimes use those terms like guilt and shame interchangeably, they are not at all the same. Guilt is externally referenced. What guilt does or conviction does is it looks at the choices that we've made and the consequences that happen because of our sinful behavior and it recognizes the impact on other people. For example, if I come to my wife and I confess to her that I've, you know, fallen down or I've, 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 you know, struggled with pornography or I looked at something like that, guilt or that sense of godly sorrow will look at the response and the devastation and the pain that creates in her and it will understand that my choices and my decisions have an impact outside of myself. And that's actually really healthy it's super healthy to understand that when we, when we make destructive, sinful decisions, they have an impact. It's not shame or condemnation to recognize the impact of our sinful choices. That would be that guilt, that, he- that healthy conviction. But shame takes the same circumstance and internalizes it and says, I'm horrible. And then we begin wallowing in our own self-hatred or shame. We do not see the people that we've impacted by our choices. We get stuck in this insular place where we are not free. We are perpetually condemned. We are perpetually guilty. We cannot find remedy for our souls because if I am internalizing shame, then it's all up to me to fix it. So what I want to say right now is no shame is allowed in this room today. Agreed? Agreed? Yes? If shame comes knocking at your door, you send it right back to hell where it belongs, please, okay? That said, it's about to get heavy. For those of us who are looking at this going, Drew, oh, no, 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 let's not, let's not look at this this morning. Because I don't know, I mean, I know in my life I could look back at my history and I have a mountain of consequences that I've had, I've, I've, because of my choices, have impacted other people. And it's not comfortable to look back at that. 
It's not comfortable to look back at those places. It's not comfortable to look at the impact of sinful choices on my life that other people have done. It's not, this is not a comfortable conversation. But we're doing this for a purpose. Ecclesiastes 7, verses 2 through 4 says this, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone, and the living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Now, please don't mistake what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that the, the active, vibrant Christian life is going to be like all mourning and like no laughter and a sad face all the time. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that somehow in our culture, in church culture, when we have moved away from legalism that wanted to heap condemnation on us for our sin, anyone ever experienced that as a kid? Maybe you sinned in church and someone just like, everyone's telling you how horrible you are and you feel nothing but condemnation. In church culture, I think we've moved from that place of condemnation or partnership with condemnation and shame, and we've gotten to a place where, where repenting of sin is almost transactional, where we go, okay, it feels uncomfortable, I know I've done wrong, I'm gonna confess the sin, I'm forgiven, let's move on. And we spend absolutely no time sitting with or reckoning with the godly sorrow that is meant to shape and disciple us. When it's done right, godly sorrow has a, it produces character. It produces sanctification in our lives because we cannot run from the reality that sin has consequences. And when we run out of that place of discomfort, we're not allowing the pain and the reality of the impact of our choices to train us in how we engage again. It's one of the things I've seen over the years of working with people who are dealing with life-controlling habitual sin is that when we get transactional in our responses to God, like we, we run to forgiveness and make no mistake, God forgives our sins. If we are in this transactional model of forgiveness, God is forgiving your sins. If you have honestly repented, confessed your sins, it is clean, your soul is made right, your spirit is made clean by the blood of Jesus, there is no guilt. However, you're not growing from it. There's something profoundly good about sitting in honest humility with the consequences of our sin. There's something training about it. And the word does say in 2 Corinthians, as Paul was writing the 2 Corinthians, in first, there was a 1 Corinthians, first letter, second letter. Context, yay. Paul's writing this letter in 2 Corinthians and he's referencing back his first letter and he says this to this church, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it, now I see that the letter grieved you, but only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. There's something so incredibly necessary about godly grief that allows us to sit with the impact of our choices and reckon with it to understand if God has called us into relationship with one another, then the bad choices we make in relationship impact each other profoundly. And being able to sit in the pain of that is important. I mean, I remember, I mean, this is a small example. I'm not gonna like pull out the worst, most hideous examples of my own personal sin that affected people because I don't want to. But, 
I mean, I'll give you a light example from just this last week because absolutely all of us are continually called into better relating into more godly relating with one another. And sometimes when we have blind spots, we don't see we've hurt people. But just recently I was, I was uh, talking with a friend and you know, saying, hey, let's, we, let's, we need to hang out. And this person really blessed me with their rebuke where they're like, you've continually said that for years and actually your inability to follow through has hurt me rather deeply. I was like, oh crap. <laughs> but I sat with that and I thought, you know, when we define sin, sometimes we go to these huge, ugly, dark places, but truly this was a sinful pattern in my life of not honoring and valuing the person enough to, to do more than just flippant words. And so I had to sit with that and think about, man, if I've hurt this person, man, that's on me and that's on my choices. I wanna sit with that because I never wanna make people feel that way. That sorrow of that reckoning of, I've hurt my friend, is the thing of godly sorrow that leads me to change the behavior. I'm trained by the sorrow. That makes sense? So as we're walking through this, I I just wanna challenge you. Can you let your heart be open to the Holy Spirit this morning? Not to condemn you and not to bring you into the pit of despair, but rather to allow the Lord to illuminate to you, is there a place in your life, in your relationships? Is there something in your history where your sinful choice has caused destruction either for yourself, for your family, for your, for your community. If there is a place that the Lord wants to highlight for you, this is not to shame you and not to condemn you. This is to free you. Because whether or not we want to stop and recognize it, the, the consequence of sin and the weight of those things stay with us. Whatever is buried alive does not die. It stays with us until we deal with it. And so right now, as we're going through this, I wanna challenge you to allow the Lord to speak to your heart if there's a place where between him and you, this needs to be worked out. And I wanna say this as we walk through this. If you are like me in the past, when you've walked into a message and people are talking, they're getting into your business, they're going beyond preaching to meddling into your soul, And if you have this fear that God is somehow going to expose you publicly to shame you for what you've done wrong, can we just remind ourselves of what we just sang? That if he closes, clothes the lilies with beauty and splendor, it's not just in our needs that God covers us. It's in our places of brokenness. It's in our places of shame that he covers us. He covers us. So in trust with the Holy Spirit, Allow him to bring things to your heart and mind that might normally make you feel very exposed and ashamed because God is not going to uncover you to your shame. He will only bring up what he wants to free and heal you. Amen? So that's like, we need to talk, we talked about that, the sin that we've committed, but let's talk about lament and the sins committed against us. This is also something that we, we don't often want to give a lot of space and time to because I think grief and when we've experienced injustice, it can feel very helpless and it can feel very hopeless and that there's not much for us to do with it. So sometimes we don't want to go to those places, but honestly, like I said before, unresolved grief and pain, it does not go away. 
And no matter how many times maybe we've dealt with something, I am under the, the conviction this morning that there's always more healing that the Lord wants to bring. Yeah. I'll tell you a little story. Um, just this last week, I was driving my youngest daughter to, kin- to not kindergarten. Good Lord, don't give more years on schooling for her. Second grade. Every, every year forward. <laughs> to be a raised and launched adult. Yes. Um, anyway, I was driving my daughter to school, and she's eight years old, and I was listening to a sad song. I like listening to sad songs. I'm weird. I like to cry. It's good for my soul. I'm just like, yes, all the feels. And I was listening to a sad song, and it was a song that in particular just brought me back to the moment that when my parents divorced and my dad was gone, my mom brought my brothers and I to my grandparents' house and said, I'll I'll be back in a couple days. I need a break. And she left for six months. And I was eight years old. And I remember looking out the window of that house, looking into the dark, wondering where my parents were and if they'd ever come back. That is the destruction of other people's sinful choices affecting me as an eight-year-old kid. And I thought about the weight of responsibility and the weight of despair and abandonment and loneliness that came on to this eight-year-old kid. But of course, we never look at ourselves in our history with the same grace we look at other people with. And I've known the information. I'm like, yeah, that was sad. But then for some reason that morning when I looked in the rearview mirror and I saw my eight-year-old daughter and I saw the innocence and the, the entitlement to just joy and being taken care of and not having to wrestle with things. And if you know Bailey, you know she's entitled. And something in my heart broke for eight-year-old Drew of just the innocence and the hope and the internal reserve that got stolen because of someone else's choice. Anyone relate to that? But there's a beautiful thing the scripture says so often that he comforts those who mourn. In Psalm 56, it says that our tears, he collects them in a jar. Like you ever notice he numbers, he names the stars in the sky, he numbers the hairs on our head, but our tears are so precious that he collects them. He stores them for us, not one is lost. And when we press into this place of lament because of the choice of, of other people on us, it gives space and time to honor the pain, but it also gives permission for the Lord to step into those very specific places. That we, it's a permission we don't have when we don't tread bravely into the pain. I believe God is inviting us into the pain, not to discourage us, not to overwhelm us, but to heal places that have long been devastated. Isaiah 61 speaks to this reality that that he is the God that takes our former shame and he gives us a double portion of grace, that he is the God that rebuilds on things long devastated, that he is the God that sees the injustice that's been done to us and he brings a double portion in recompense to us. This is the God that we serve and we only access this place by treading boldly into the uncomfortable place of grief and recognizing the impact of sin. You know, sometimes the sins committed against us, we don't even have like the personal experience with it, but it travels down through generation. Years ago, my dad took me on this trip. And if you know, if you've been around me at all, you know that I like to geek out over the Barry Essa family history. (laughs) Who's been a victim? 
of me and the Berryessa family history. Yeah, there's been, there's fans that go up like, oh dear God, not this again. But so that you know. <laughs> yes, amen. My dad and I took this trip down to California and there's a particular part in the history of our family that I knew all the information to. How many of you know information about horrible things that have happened in the past, but you don't feel much about it? Anyone? I knew all the information too. In fact, for brevity's sake, this is the place where after the murder of my sixth great-grandfather, the whole family experienced the impact of that sinful moment, that broken, horrible, greed-filled, power-filled moment when it destroyed the life of my sixth great-grandfather. And from that point forward, the family shattered from a family of health and nobility to a place where every generation after that just dealt with an immense amount of brokenness. Every father left their children for six generations, not a single marriage intact, abandoning of faith, losing of all resources, mothers then also abandoning their children after the fathers do, all the way down to me for six generations. Now, I wasn't around to experience that personally, but when I walked to that place where this event happened, I was overwhelmed with a grief that I can't even begin to explain. I had known the stories, but I had never allowed myself to experience the grief of the loss of what could have been, of the loss of what I might have inherited relationally if generation after generation had not been broken. What I might have as an individual, who Drew might be, if six generations of fathers had stayed with their sons. And it hit me profoundly. Are you willing to allow the Lord to bring grief and lament to places of your life that you might know the information, but you've never been willing to touch emotionally? Because God does have healing for us. He has recompense for us. He has restoration for us. We have to be willing to walk into those places and recognize the pain. I can already see objection in the eyes of some of you in here. Like, no, Drew, I'm not gonna. And I get it. And I think sometimes that what goes along with that is maybe the, the experience of having braved into the waters of grief and loss and injustice and feeling no remedy. Anyone ever felt that before? The book of Lamentations was written by the prophet Jeremiah. He was called the weeping prophet. He was the one who saw the, the sin and the brokenness in the children of Israel, and he foretold prophetically the destruction of Jerusalem and them going into captivity. This was not a job that I would want. You know, loudly proclaiming doom, 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 death, doom, consequence, and no one listened. Here we are. <laughs> the book of Lamentations is a follow-up to the book of Jeremiah where all that destruction and consequences happen at the hands of the sin and rebellion of the people. And now he's writing this in response, like sitting in the grief of the loss of their nation, the captivity they've experienced, the consequence of, of idolatry and rebellion and just not doing what the Lord has asked us to do. And in this, in this book, we find this, 
this passage where I know that for me, the fear walking into grief and lament is that there's no way out of it. That somehow I will be crushed there under the disappointment and the weight. Anyone relate to that? But this is what Lamentations 3, starting at verse 22 says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope, whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he was young. Let him sit alone in the silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust, that there may be hope. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him and let him be filled with disgrace for no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. When we enter into grief, we enter into this promise that God does not leave us in the midst of our pain. He does not leave us hopeless. He does not leave us helpless. He does not leave us without remedy. God meets us in our pain. He meets us in the places where we've been hurt. He meets us in the places where we've been wounded. He meets us in the places where we have wounded other people. God does not leave us in the devastation of our sin or the sins done to us. You know, when we finish this season of lament, we're going to go into the season of Advent. And I find the timing so incredibly perfect because we will even sing the songs long laid the world in sin and air pining till he appeared and the soul felt its birth. We know that just in the midst of all this, God has brought remedy through Jesus. He is faithful and he is enough. Amen. One more area of sin we need to talk about, which we don't often talk about in church. Like we can talk about in church how we need to repent and God can forgive our sins, yes? We can talk in church how God is a good judge and a just judge and he will bring recompense to the places where we've been hurt by the sins of others. And if you've been hurt or if you're currently being hurt by the sins of others, rest in the fact that God sees you and he loves you and he is with you. But what about the sin that we cling to What about the sin that we have propped up in our own lives that we, against the Holy Spirit's leading, have said, no, I need this and I want this in my life? What about that sin? What about when God calls us to surrender those places in our lives? I will read my own, like, dirty laundry list here for you. Better example than calling one of you out is my own life and my own failures and my own pain. And you all know a lot of my story and you know what I come from, but I will will say this. When I began leaving my broken sexual relationship and being obedient to God, I had no understanding in my own life of why I had done the things that I had done. I had no real clarity to my own wounds. I was pretty much flying blind. But one thing that was very acutely aware for me is that when God was calling me to surrender this relationship and then surrender the memory of the relationship that I held on to and even fantasized about that relationship and engaged in like fantasy and masturbation and all these things to keep it alive, God called me out of that. And I 
felt so ashamed that I wasn't glad to give it up. See, something that's, that we begin to agree with in church culture is that even though we know something is sin and God is calling us out of it, somehow we've superimposed that that should be an enjoyable experience and that we should be grateful to give up the thing that we've been clinging to. And that makes no freaking sense to me whatsoever. Because if all you know is this thing that's sustaining you and medicating your pain, and it's your only manna in the desert, and then Jesus comes along and says, yeah, give that to me too. What I want to say to you today is that there is grace and invitation from God for you to grieve the loss of the thing that he has asked you to surrender, even if it was sin. Yes, you get to grieve the loss of sin in your life because our God is that good. See, God sees beyond the things that we do to the heart and the reasons why. And even when I didn't understand the reasons why I was clinging to this, God did understand. And so when I had to shed tears over the fact that I was lonely as hell and afraid that no one would ever love me and that maybe the best I would ever have was this sinful relationship that I had to give up and my church culture told me I should be happy to give it up, And all I knew is I was going back into the desert of loneliness and despair without the thing that had been medicating that pain in my life with no guarantee that it would ever change. You had better believe that God met me there and he allowed me to grieve the loss of the thing that was wrong, but it was mine. Do you know that God is that good to you? Do you know that he is that kind to you? You see, the thing that we don't like to do, and again, I I come back to this, we don't like to step into the pain. We don't like to step into the, the destruction. We don't like to step into the uncomfortability of that. We have an aversion to pain and discomfort and sorrow, so we don't want to go into that. But I will tell you this, that the ability to grieve those places in my life the permission God gave me to walk in and fully admit where my heart was at with it was the thing that brought me healing. Because when we just like do transactional forgiveness, we don't look at a reason why we've done what we've done. We don't look at the consequences. We don't look at the pain or the destruction. We don't look at the future. We just try to imagine that Jesus not only gives us forgiveness for sins, but amnesia (laughs) or lobotomy or whatever That is not what God does. The blood of Jesus washes our guilt, our condemnation, and our shame. It does not erase our history or our vulnerability or our need. And when we have engaged in sin to try to medicate one of those places, God will call us into the brave place to come to terms with where we are at. We have to. This was demonstrated so beautifully in the... the, the story of the prodigal son, when at the pig trough, recognizing from the height from which he fell into the despair that he was in, he had to come to his senses and recognize where he was at. And sometimes the only way to that is to begin to grieve and feel the pain of the loss of sin we've held on to, to recognize why did this place have power? 
Why did I cling to this? What am I believing? What is the stronghold in my life? What is the place that I need the ministry of God to come and, and heal this place of brokenness so that I can move forward? But it comes through lament and grief. I want you to uh, bow your heads. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. We have an opportunity this morning. It's not a pleasant one, but it's an important one. We have an opportunity this morning to be, to experience the consolation and the love of God who condescends down to us in our moments of pain, in our moments of brokenness, in our moments of sin. He comes down to be with us. He stoops low. We have an invitation to run to the Father this morning. To find in him the safety of his mercy and love. If through this time you've begun to feel conviction over a spot in your life where you have missed the mark, where you have sinned, where you've, you've caused destruction, run to him not from him, run to him. In the hands of our good God, he can take absolutely everything that we've done destructively and turn it redemptively for his purposes, his glory, and our good. That's his nature. If you are wrestling this morning with the pain of 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 sin inflicted against you and that, that there's no there's no comparison needed. It could be a slight at work that hurt your heart or it could be the devastation of, of sexual abuse or sexual assault. It could be divorce. It could be, it could just, it could be disappointment of any kind, whatever it is that you are experiencing this pain because of choices that weren't yours but now you live with the consequences. Can I encourage you to come with that to the Lord? Press in to the presence of a God who sees it, who sees you, sees your pain, and it matters to him. If you are wrestling this morning because you're recognizing something you're holding on to that he wants you to give up to him, but you feel guilty over the fact that you still have this distorted love relationship with it, and it's a loss, and you don't know how to categorize that, can I just give you the permission the loss that is involved in surrendering this thing to the Lord. God does not begrudge you of your grief. He invites you to to walk with him in it. Whatever it is right now, take this time between you and the Lord. You are safe and hemmed in by love. But press in.
in a posture to receive from the Lord. Eyes closed, hands kind of in forward in front of you. Let's just take this posture. Father, you know, you know the hearts of each one of your sons and daughters here this morning. You know, you know what's stirring, you know what's burdening our hearts, you know what, you know what's on our hearts and minds. Father, this is what I pray for, for those in the room right now who have been contending and feeling and grieving and lamenting the consequences of their own choices. Lord God, I just ask right now that you would pour into their open hands, absolutely pour into them your steps for reconciliation, your steps for freedom from this. Lord, lay out for each person if there's if there's repentance to be made to a person, if there's if there's ownership that needs to be made, if there's apologies, if there's some sort of like making it right that, that can happen and your hand is on it and your grace is on it, God, just give the revelation of that to your people and let them walk knowing that you have covered them in love. Father, for those in the room that are wrestling and, and grieving the consequences of the sins of others in their life, Lord, I pray that your comforter spirit will be with them, that you pour out patience and you pour out long-suffering and you pour out hope. Father, that we are, for those of us in that circumstance, that we are so bolstered by your love and your Spirit, by your hope, Father, that we walk in those relationships or with the reality of that, knowing you're a redemptive God and you are going to do something powerful in it. Lord, let us just sit in expectancy of that. And Lord, for those that are wrestling and they're recognizing in themselves that there's some sin that they need, that they're grieving the loss of something that you have called out of their hand and God can you just give them wide open space to walk with you in that
good and receive the treasures he has for you. God bless you.